Welcome to the Independent Thinking Show for Fifth Wrist Radio. This is a place dedicated to showcasing the great people doing interesting things in the world of horology. My name is Roman, and today I have a very special guest who is a returning guest, a good friend of mine who we actually spent a bit of time in, in real life as well, as we shall talk about later, Mr. Chris Manning at Silverhand. Hello, Chris. So good to see you, man. Roman, it is wonderful to see your face and to be chatting with you again. Oh, I like when you lie right at the top of the, the show. It's always very nice. Uh, <laughs> no, it's really good. We, we were just chatting off mic before, so let, let's actually wind our history together back. So you were a guest on Fifth Wrist Radio podcast back in February 2021. I was oh, young was then. I was ago? a callow youth. Adam and yeah. I Adam and I interviewed you as your professional capacity. Yeah. And it's really exciting to see now we're in September 2023 and like you've moved leaps and bounds, as we shall say. You're an established presence in the watchmaking scene. That's awesome. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a, there's been a lot that's happened since then, including, as you mentioned, we, we managed to spend a week together last year in London. Mm. I, I tormented you for a week and dragged you around to some interesting places in London. And you that's were even... kind enough to invite me to the Worshipful Company of Clockmakers dinner. Yes, and, you were my um, plus one. That's right. Yeah, I was your plus one. <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh, I, I hope you, you enjoyed the dress. That was I tried to wear something evocative. <laughs> Slinky for yet sophisticated is how I described <laughs> it in my social media. Now, look, it was great. It, yeah, so, yeah, so we were in London together for this annual dinner that happens for the Worshipful Company of Clockmakers in September. I think it was the day before my birthday as well. Yeah. I remember. But yeah, so we actually spent a week doing museums and stuff. You took me to a few museums that I had never been to. That was really good. And you showcased your knowledge of really cool things. And I was, yeah. Yeah. And, awesome. and thank you. you. You invited me along to a thing that you were doing with at the British Museum. We got a chance oh, yes, to of course. see the uh, see a Daniels watch and a brigade in person, which was nice. I appreciated you mm. setting that up. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. And that was with our friends, Peter Doble and... The great legendary David Walter. David Walter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was just yeah. a. I was. It was an awesome trip. I'm. I'm reminiscing. You're about to head off to London in a few days. It's. It's funny. Yeah. It's almost a year since we did that, and it's. I'm getting ready to fly to London on Saturday, and the big difference is that I won't have to, you to torment for a week. It's. I'm sad that I won't have you along. Think how much you. How much more you will enjoy the place now without me nattering along <laughs> in your ears, sister. <laughs> <laughs> the levels of enjoyment will be much higher. But no, like a really cool, you and I chat quite often, but actually to get you yeah. and I to actually sit down and record a podcast kind of to, to trick the progress where you were in Feb to where you are now, it's really cool. And I'm sure like it'll be great for our listeners to understand the journey of a watchmaker as you are a watchmaker now, you're about to release yes. your watch. It's yeah. really cool to actually step it through. Now, let's we don't have much of a structure to the show obviously. It's very much free flowing. <laughs> but let's do for the benefit of our to place you and I in particular you. Give us a location check, give us a risk check. Drink check is optional. All right. I am currently deep in the woods of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. I'm in a, I'm in a secret location, a cabin deep in the woods in Canada. No, I I'm uh, I'm just outside of Ottawa, Canada. And for those of you who don't know Canada, which is all of you listening, we're somewhere between Montreal and Toronto. Uh, Canada is the capital. It's like Canberra. Nobody knows where it is and yeah, nobody knows correct. it's the capital. Correct. Equal we, level we of excitement. We have the same problem here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I'm in my studio just outside of, of Ottawa. And wrist check, I have the prototype for my first watch on Drum my roll. wrist. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. 
Very exciting. I love seeing a prototype anyway, but yeah, mm-hmm. particularly to see your prototype is just equally cool because I, I can I know the background journey of it, like the love, tears, and toil that went into it, and, and the blood as well <laughs> along the way. It's just the beautiful. pain, so sweat, and tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's really cool. There, there must be something about I don't know remote places or something that tends to foster this watchmaking culture is it the farm houses of switzerland this kind of romantic thing like a cabin in the woods you need to be in cabin in the woods away from distraction of society so you can make a watch we like have Ruben you know sort of canberra as well like it must be something or aaron sarah in canada as well and saskatoon what is it with these remote weird places that fosters watchmaking culture I think a a large part of it is that we're buried under multiple meters of snow for sort of 10 or 12 months a year. And so it's maybe not 10 or 12 months, but it's nice having having something to do that that obviously I can be secluded. I can be, I can focus on what I'm doing and having the, the remoteness helps a little bit. So nice to have your hands occupied, in other words, productively is what we're trying to say. And it's warmer inside than it is out. Yes. So... In the depths of winter, which not even the depth, let's say it's late September now, in, in December, like around Christmas time, what's your workshop like just outside? Is it minus 38? Is it how perishing is it? December isn't too bad, actually. December still is still quote unquote warm. I so see. it's going to be below freezing during the day, probably, but not a lot below freezing. We'll have right. snow that's permanently on the ground at that sure. point, but not right. a lot. The worst of it is the end of January, beginning February. And we can start to see minus 25, minus 30, plus wind chill. Jeez. We usually have a couple meters of snow by the end of the winter. The really heavy snow season starts hitting around March. So it warms up a little bit, but we get a lot more snow then. Yeah, it's unimaginable. If there's a, there's, I think I sent you a video on Instagram the other day of a guy getting dressed to go out and go it's out amazing. in uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Antarctic. And I was joking yeah, yeah, that yeah. that was what That's we have you. to do here. And it's not quite that yeah. bad, but it's you. not far off. Yeah, it was like you getting dressed to get the paper off the porch or something. That was like nine layers and something. No, it's amazing. And everyone, we should, we'll link it in the terms, but Chris's Instagram. For yes. the watch company, yes. CM Manning. Dot yes. watches. There Please go. go and follow. I'm the way that I want to do the social media is I want to have the announcements and the sort of the sexy marketing photos on the CM Manning watches because who knows, I may not always be running that account, but I want to have the the finished pieces, the finished stuff sure. over there. And Silverhand is always going to be behind the scenes of what's going on. Uh, so that's going to be showing process videos, process photos. Uh, that sort of thing, the Where occasional the cat photo, because yeah. the cat is my boss at this point. Um, yes. He he demands a certain amount of social media attention. but Yeah, that's uh, a KPI for you, I understand. like It, it does sure. go on yeah, your performance yeah. report. That's right. Uh, the cat it is does, very yeah. cute. Yeah. I'm not much he of a is, cat yeah. person, but when they're sleeping, they're quite adorable. And a lot of the time, it <laughs> seems like your cat is very much resting. Life yes. of a watchmaker, I would imagine. Just constant well, rest you know. with intermittent periods of <laughs> fr- frantic activity. Oh, that's, that's cool. Right. No. <laughs> That's very cool. All right, let me do my so location. My location is less exciting. So I'm in Melbourne, Australia. On the wrist, I actually, I debated long and hard kind of what to wear. One, what I settled on is a watch from the Fears Watch Company. It's a Fears Brunswick. Mm. And I did that because when you and I were in, in London last year, in, in September, we actually caught up with Nicholas. So a shout out to Nicholas yeah. Bowman Scargill. So he was, that was really lovely to, to kind of hang out with him in a bar and experience his knowledge and suavity. He was a very handsome, very well-polished man in all things. It was, it was lovely to spend a bit of time with him. So that was cool. I, whenever I, I wear I that, I remember that. Yeah, Nicholas is absolutely the nicest 
guy you will meet in the watch industry. And mm. he has been incredibly helpful to me over the years. He and I, he and I met at a time for a pint back. Oh, of course. Oof. Pre-pandemic times, he he and I met up and uh, for the first time in person, and we got along like a house on fire. We chatted quite a bit, and he has been so good at introducing me to people and helping me find resources and whatnot within the industry. So, yeah, huge shout out to Nicholas. He's a great guy to know, and I love the watches that he's doing. He's mm. he's doing such a great job with that brand. Absolutely, and yeah, it's always nice when the people you think would be nice to hang out with turn out to be nice to hang out with. And yep. it was the first time I met Nick. Actually, it was the first time I, I met you in person. It was the same. It was like, we clicked. It was really lovely. It was like, oh, I think yeah. we clicked. You might have other opinions. But it was just really nice to hang out with. Because the people you meet online, you think you'll get on with, but you don't always get to actually experience that in real life. So that was, yeah, it was yeah. very joyful to spend a bit of time. So very cool. All right. So last time... To recap, for people who haven't heard last episode, and I'll link it in the show notes, the February 2021 episode, we started about your journey to that point, which was you made pens, you were starting to think about making watches you had, you worked with metal, you had the skill. Maybe take us on that journey now between then and now. How did you end up now with your own watch that's about to be launched and you've got a prototype on your wrist? Yeah, it's been a bit of a challenging journey and I've... It's been a bit meandering uh, through that time as well, because initially I was thinking about releasing a watch using an ETA 7001 movement. And and that's a a favorite movement of the independent watch industry. It's a solid standard movement. They're easily found and it's a reasonably solid movement. And the more I looked at it, I was unhappy with what I could get. And part of the problem was that I could only get a time-only watch out of it. Wasn't yes. a lot that I could do. It's also not a particularly interesting looking movement. So I knew that I wanted a display back on my watch. So it wasn't a particularly interesting watch movement for what I wanted to do. And I started looking around a little bit. And actually, one of the guests who was on my podcast years ago, Peter Speak, mm. he actually introduced me to the folks over at Swartz Chen. And Maro at Swartz Chen was great. He and I had a conversation. One of the problems with independent watchmakers like me, we're never producing a huge number of watches. Of course. And so trying to convince a movement manufacturer to talk to us Mm. is difficult because I say, I want to order 10 movements. And most (laughs) companies won't even return your phone call, right? Of course. That's a bit of a challenge. But meeting Mauro, it was great. He was more than happy to work with me. I ended up ordering 11 movements from him, one as a prototype for myself, and then 10, which will become this first series of watches. Mm. And uh, they were really great to work with. I told them I wanted to do all the hand finishing work on the movement. And so they actually sent me the bridges ahead of time. Oh, wow. And I ended up, so they machined all the bridges and they sent them to me ahead of time. I ended up doing some of them. I ended up running out of time with, uh, with them. I ended up running out of time working on them. So Philippe Narbel in Switzerland, he had been teaching me some stuff about how to do movement finishing. And he and his team actually ended up doing the final finishing. There were like about half the movements needed to needed the finishing done on them. So he and his team ended up doing those for me last year in August. And they did an amazing job. If you're in the industry and you're looking for somebody to do hand finish work on your movement, Mm. don't go anywhere else. Just talk to Philippe. Philippe Mm. is, first off, he is such a nice guy. 
and has got such a great team there. In fact, after you and I met in London last year, I spent a few days over visiting with that's Philippe. right yeah he you was showing me some there. technique right. and yeah, of course, yeah, yeah so he was showing yeah. me some technique he was so i got a chance to meet his team his lovely wife is there as well working with them they're just such a great group of people but the finishing work that they do is amazing so he For finished sure. up doing the finishing work on it and then we sent the bridges back to uh Swartzia chen and they're working on finishing up the movements for me so i was able to get the first one earlier this year Mm. And that's what's in the prototype for so exciting. this watch is that first movement. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. R- really cool. And and the idea of the Schwartz ETN movement is it's a time only to start with, but it, it, it can be used as a platform, isn't it, to then build up complications and things if, you, if that's the way you want it to go later down the line kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, there's a few advantages of this movement that I really like. So it is, uh, um, it does have center hour and minutes. Yeah. As a sub-second at six o'clock, pretty mm-hmm. standard. Yep. This classic. one actually has a power reserve at nine o'clock as well, right. which I really like. Yes. Um, I like the the power reserve complication. I think it's a nice, I a nice add-on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but one of the key things with this movement is that it has a double barrel on it. Mm. That's uh, right. Get a That's huge right. amount of power reserve. It's like 96 hours of power reserve or something mm. like that. But the the more important thing than the power reserve, the length of the power reserve is that it has a lot of extra torque available to it. I, so if I right. want to do some kind of an interesting complication to add on top of it, mm. it has all the power I need to be able to yes. do sure. any kind of an interesting complication on top of it. If I want to do jump hours or digital display or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you've got enough. A lot of things that have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that have a lot of power requirements. This is a good platform to start working from. So right now I'm happy with the way they are. Sure. They've been, the, the price was right. They're a really nice movement. There's, there's a number of people that are using this movement in the industry. It's not an unknown movement. So it's not, yeah. it's not as if it's something bizarre that nobody's ever seen before, but it's also a premium movement. It's not a, it's not a basic at a movement. So yes. I'm very happy with that. And it's, and so far working with it, it's been great. It's an amazing movement. It looks, I've seen pictures that you shared with me of the prototype. It's very, it is very handsome. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. And lovely, once again, lovely to hear about the Schwartz ETN, kind of the experience that you had with Mauro and the team. Like I've only ever heard really good things about them. It's a brand, like I feel not talked about enough. It's, I know they make their own watches and they made the splash, I think with the Roma model that they had Kari Vutalainen and do the dial. So that kind of created a bit of buzz around them. But even on their own, they've got this really established history there, family and brand, like there's a lot to love. Once you start looking into it, there's one of those really compelling small outfits doing really cool stuff and lovely to hear that they're, they're supporting the independents like yourself. That's just brilliant. Yeah, they, and they've night. been around for for a while. They have a quite a history as well. I th- I th- mm. They've been around for more than a hundred years as movement so. makers yeah, yeah. for yeah, various yeah, yeah, yeah. companies. They've been making yeah, Bosch yeah, yeah. movements for years. They've been certainly pushing their own brand a lot more recently, as you said, with the collaboration yes. they did with Kari. They did a collaboration with Peter Speak as well, and mm. I know That's Ming right. has used them for yes, for some of Ming's higher yep. end watches. Yep, they've yep, yep, they've yep. they've done those. They're doing some great stuff. They're good, solid movements, and I have no problems with them at all. Wonderful. No, that's really good. All right. So we, we chatted about the movement. Tell us about the watch that you're making now, and because maybe that will take us probably back a little bit. So describe the watch that is ticking merrily on your wrist right now. <laughs> there are a few things that I wanted to do with this watch. The first thing is engine turning on a dial. Mm. I've been an engine turner for the better part of 20 years. 
I primarily did engine turning on jewelry and pens, but I knew yes. that when I made a watch dial, I wanted it to have engine turning on it. Lovely. That was a that was an absolute Given. must. Yeah. An engine turn dial, slightly different take on the engine turning than most people are doing. A lot of people are doing interesting stuff with rose engines. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of rotary patterns that are done. Yes. And a lot of people are copying the very traditional designs and patterns that have been used on brigades and yeah. you know Patex and, and whatnot and, for yeah. years, yeah, yeah, for yeah. hundreds of years, literally. Sure. Uh, I wanted to move out of that a little bit. So this is a straight line engine pattern. It's a radial pattern, which is something you don't see enough of. And so it's a little bit different. It still looks like a, a circular pattern, but the way that it's accomplished is actually with a straight line engine. Right. And wow. okay. so I, I wanted to do something a little bit different that, sure. that you're not seeing a lot of. So yeah. that was a key thing. And then the the other thing was I wanted a I wanted a personalized typeface for the face. So one of the things I've always been a big fan of is the early 20th century Art Deco movement, particularly Rennie Macintosh, that typeface that he developed. I, I was always a really big fan of that. And I thought, especially the numbers in it are really great. I was a big fan of that. And I actually chatted with, again, Speaking of of Nicholas from mm. Fears, he introduced me to Lee Yuan Reputy, mm. who goes by One, one Hour, hour watch. watch on yeah. Instagram. I'm sure that if if you're not following him, I don't. What are you doing listening to this podcast? Yes, correct. Everybody I think be following most people, Lee. if you're 20 right? minutes in, if you're not following, you're really missing out. Follow now, but yeah, I'm yeah, sure you're not. Absolutely, yeah. no. You, you need to follow Lee. He is amazing. Yeah, and he is an incredibly gifted, along with being an incredibly gifted designer and artist, he's an incredibly gifted designer of typefaces for the watch industry. In fact, he did his master's degree specifically on designing typeface for amazing. watches. Amazing. And so he and I chatted a little bit. And so he took that Rennie Macintosh font and he actually customized it for me mm. and for my dial. So there's a few little changes. There's a few little a little things that are different. The four is definitely a bit different. The eight is different, different from the original. And I just, I love what he was able to do with it. It's Yeah, it looks great. That, I, said, I, that I can see of, the photo. Yeah, it's really cool. Really cool. Beautifully done. And yeah. it's one of those things that I wanted to make sure that I had... I had something that was unique to me. Nobody else is going to be using this. Sure. And that's nice. And it's, it's evocative of that design sense that I wanted. So that was important to me as well. Again, t- same thing with the typeface for my name. That's a, that's all part of that as hmm. well. And then the other thing that I wanted to do was instead of using a traditional power reserve with a hand as a Sweeping sector on the, yeah. on the dial, what I've chosen to do is actually reveal the power reserve disc through the dial. So it's a a disc that's hiding underneath the dial. And most of the time, what you're going to see is a blue dot underneath the dial. It's a sky blue dot. And as the power runs down, you'll get to a roughly 12 hours before the power reserve runs out. And then it'll change over to an orange dot. Mm -hmm. And if you see blue on your dial, you're good. You don't have to worry about winding your watch before you go to bed. if If you're still seeing blue on the dial, you're fine. If you see orange, you know that you've got about 12 hours of power reserve left. Hmm. The whole idea of of an exact perfect power reserve, is it's a bit of a fake indicator in terms of, oh, there's exactly 20 hours left or whatever. So I didn't want to give that sense of that incorrect sense of precision when it isn't actually there. And so with this, you just see a, a blue 
the blue coming through the dial. Yep, blue is fine. So leave it alone. Yeah. And as soon as exactly. it turns orange, yep. anytime it's in the orange zone, you wind it up. Yeah, interesting. Any particular yep. reason blue and orange were the kind of the colors? So many people use things like red and green yes. or whatever. Yes. There are a lot of people out there who have, who are colorblind. And yes. I yes. know that blue yes. is, a, I know yeah. some people are blue, yellow colorblind, but it, they're very that's rare, an extremely rare group of people. Or something. Yeah, but, very rare. but red and green, that's what, one in 10 men or something like something that? Something like one that, in yeah, 11. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. And, it's, and I know I have a number of good friends who are colorblind. And so I thought, why are we making... Why are we choosing colors that don't work for people? So sure. that was something that I thought was important was to, to use something other than the traditional red and yeah. green that you yeah, see. Yeah, sure. And on top of that, it actually calls out the stitching on the, it calls out the stitching on the strap. So the ah. strap is a, nar- a navy blue okay. strap and it has a sky blue stitching as okay. a contrast color that goes around okay. it. There's a few little details in there that all match up to each other. And sure. that's, that was one of the other reasons why I like that sky blue. Yeah, uh, it's really nice because now, because I've been privileged enough to see the design sketches and the things you've been thinking about, how this sort of design evolving. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating because because I know you had you've always had this sort of strong design sense and you've got very strong sort of yep. design aesthetic from your pen making days and your jewelry making days. Like you've got a good eye for design, you've got a good eye for detail. So it's actually really cool to see from the original sketches, the tweaks. Now it's coming together. It's really cool. Like it's yeah, it's it, yeah. it looks lovely. It's a lovely design, genuinely. Thank you. So, which is good. Should we talk about the case? Because the case is rather special as well. <laughs> the case is rather unique. Again, one of the one of my favorite things in jewelry making, uh, one of, the, I really benefit from the fact that I've spent twenty plus years making things out of metal, and I've been nice. very fortunate through that time to be able to experiment with a lot of different materials. I know a number of people that are that are professional jewelers and metal workers, so I've had a chance to see other people doing interesting things. And again, I've I'm became good friends with uh, Chris Plouf. In he's in uh, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston, and he specializes in doing layered metals, mostly oh, okay. Damascus steel, but also a little bit right. of Mokumegane. Right. And he makes Damascus steel for other jewelers, for other metal workers. He and I worked together. I made a, a few pens years ago out of some of that Damascus steel absolutely gorgeous. It's one of my favorite pens and it's, it always gets a lot of attention whenever I have it out. And he and I worked together and we made some, he made some Damascus steel for me and it just looks incredible. I, Mm. this Damascus is made out of two different types of stainless steel. So you get that weight of stainless steel and you also get the fact that it's not going to tarnish on you. It's not going to have any problems. You're not going to have, have issues with it down the road. And it looks absolutely stunning on mm. this case. It's it's gorgeous. So th- this first prototype is being done in that Damascus. And I wanted to do that one first because I knew that it was going to have a lot of visual impact. I knew oh, that it course. was going to look great. Yeah, and, uh, and it does. It looks amazing. I'm also doing that the case in just a straight stainless steel. So if you don't want the Damascus, if you want something a little more traditional, yep. I am doing it in stainless steel. And if you're interested, I'm also able to do it in 18 karat gold or platinum quite easily. Right. So any of the, basically any of the traditional metals that people are looking at for watch cases I can do, but I wanted to show off the Damascus because it's something that mm. not a lot of people are familiar with. There are a few watch companies that are doing Damascus steel, but I wanted to show this off because I think it is quite special. 
Yeah, it, that does look spectacular, and it's a. And I would imagine if you every Damascus steel case would look different, even if you had two of them next to each other. Just the way the, the material is milled out, they're all unique. It's always unique. It's a randomized pattern. And one of the jokes I was making the other day on on Instagram is that when you're making the case, it just looks like a solid piece of Damascus steel until right. you get to the etching, which is the last thing that you do. So you machine it. You do all of the drilling and threading sure. and everything else. You polish it, and you've got this this case that looks like a normal steel stainless steel yeah. case. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah. why did I put all this extra effort in, and why is it more expensive <laughs> and everything like that? And sure. and then you put it in the acid. Yeah. And the the way that it works is that you actually etch away one of the two metals a little bit, and when it comes out of the acid and you put you clean it off it just comes to life. But the thing is, until you do that, you have mm. no idea what it's going to look like. You don't mm. know how detailed the pattern is. You have a vague idea of what the pattern looks like, but it's you don't really know until you actually etch it and see it in person. Mm. So for our literary fans, Allen Ginsberg was right. When you use acid, <laughs> colors much better. Absolutely. So <laughs> you can put that on, maybe do it as like a testimonial. No, that's really, it does look visually spectacular. What's the property yeah. of Damascus steel? Is it similar temperature, similar hardness, that kind of stuff? I don't know. Like my metallurgy knowledge is very low, but yeah. functionally it works just as well. So the in this case, Damascus steel can be made from a bunch of different metals. In this of case, course. it's being made from 316 stainless steel, which is what most watch cases are being made yes. from. So when you look at the average watch in the industry, yeah. most of them are being made out of 316 stainless steel. Yeah. The other steel that Chris is using is 304 stainless steel. Right. And the so the when you look at those two metals side by side, most people wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them. Sure. I can't I certainly can't tell the difference between them. If if I don't label if I've got both types of metal, if I've got both types of metal, then I, I can't tell the difference between them. Sure. And again, when you're when they're fused together properly, you can't tell the difference. You can you can Blame look at this. Together. At yep. the sheet, and it just looks like a, a homogenous a piece of stainless steel. Yeah, 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 so yeah. the nice thing is that it's almost identical to what most people are seeing in a stainless sure. steel case. Sure. Cool. No, that's really, yeah, that's because I'm sure that will be a question. Yes, it looks amazing. Do I need to treat it in any other way? Do I need to avoid that? No, so you could actually, it's as good. As long as you're not shoving your hand into muriatic acid, you're fine. And if you are, good for you. By, You've got and bigger if you problems. are, buy two. If you are by two, so one for every day, you send one for the weekends. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Very cool. Um, yeah, so, other- so we use muriatic acid to uh, etch away the 304 stainless. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure. it's nasty stuff. Don't go and drink use it. it. It's, Don't drink if it. You're, <laughs> and if you are handling muriatic acid, you absolutely should not be wearing a watch while you're doing it. Hmm. To consume responsibly. Now, <laughs> with the cases, now you mill them yourself. So you do them yourself in your workshop. I make Amazing. all of the case myself. Yeah, I'm making the dials myself, the hands myself. Every basically the movement I'm not making in this, although as I said, I I was doing some hand finishing on it. The straps I'm not making. Yeah, sure. And everything else, effectively, I'm making myself. And for the benefits, so I know, but for the benefits of listeners, so you're a one man mm. 
band. You've got the cat, and the I cat's am, obviously important. Other right? than the cat as a supervisor, I you am are the, the unionized uh, workforce, right? Yeah, <laughs> I am the sucker who's sitting there slaving away and and making everything. So yeah, I do all the design work. Other than as I said, some of the typeface design or whatever mm. that Lee helped me mm. with. But I'm designing the case. I'm designing the dials. I'm doing all the engine turning. I'm doing all of the engraving. Mm. I'm doing everything myself. And I think that's, I, I appreciate when people are collaborating with others on it. I'm fortunate that in 20 odd years, 25 years of metalworking, I've built up a skill set that's unique yes. and that a lot of people just don't have. And, and if you're just getting out, if you're getting started as a watchmaker, you can't possibly have built up all of all of these skills mm. in a short mm. period of time. Mm. I understand why people collaborate. I'm fortunate in that I'm able to do most of this on my own. And this is one of the downsides of living in the middle of nowhere in Canada. Sure. It's difficult to collaborate with people just because I'm multiple time zones away from everybody. Yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. multiple days of shipping time away from anybody yes. if I want to be able to ship yes. things back and forth. If I want to visit in person, you have to get on a plane and go somewhere. So <laughs> yes. there are downsides to being where I am. As being on the wrong side of oh, the yes. planet. Oh, yes. I, I can't possibly relate. Being in Australia, we are close in the <laughs> middle of everything, particularly in the watch industry. We are finger on the path. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, us colonials have to stick together. It is interesting that yeah. all these really exciting, interesting things are happening in the colonies, what we call, we'd call the colonies. Australia, there's Ruben Scoots is doing some interesting stuff in Canberra. The Hackos are doing some really interesting stuff, CNC and working with titanium yeah. and microengineering there in, in Sydney. Then you've got yourself in Canada, Aaron's there, and then there's a whole bunch of sort of crazy people in the US doing stuff. It's actually really nice to see these kind of small kind of, it's almost, we're going back in time with this sort of artisanal, not industries, but artisanal workshops coming together because yeah. of that necessity of being too far away from the traditional historical centers of stuff. Yeah. Bradley Taylor's another one. He's out on yeah, the West of Coast of yeah, Canada. Yeah, previous uh, you've had, yeah, I think course. you've had Bradley on, yeah, on Fifth Risk before. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, I think one of the reasons why we tend to, to get these independent watchmakers in these remote places that don't traditionally have watchmaking is because mm. those of us who would have, if we were in Switzerland, if we were in Germany, we would get dragged into the large corporate yes. watchmaking world. Yes, yes. And we yes. would just become another person. Maybe if we're lucky, we end up working for Akari Vudalainen or Grubel Forzi or somebody like that. Yeah, if we're but you're making their right? watches, not your watches, yeah. Exactly, and that's the thing. You're not making your own watch. And so yeah. I think that that even because the, there's no industry, there's no watch industry here, it is far less common for people to get into the industry and get into doing this work. But when we do we're motivated enough to do it that we end up being mm. dedicated to making our yeah. own watch. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, I yeah. think, and I think that's an important part of it, right? Is, and if you look at most of these other guys, a lot of them are going and getting trained in all, in other places, right? Like I know mm. both Aaron and, and uh, Bradley, they're both, they're both trained. They were both trained over in Europe. A lot yeah, of people right. like that are, had, are in that the, position where yeah. they end up building up a lot of those skills and, in the traditional sense and then, or in the traditional industry, and then they come back home and they start wanting to do their own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's probably a big part of what it is. Yeah, it's, and it's yeah, it's really interesting. And, and whenever you as a one-man band kind of work on your own, I always think of this, that we hear about the, the Daniels method, the kind of one man making everything from scratch, which which is really hard and virtually impossible to do. But I think George talked about these 30, I think it's 32 watchmaking skills, the individual skills that come together, whatever that magical number is, 32, whatever. Yeah. 
but I just think given your history in kind of design, jewellery making, metal work, pen making, you've actually accumulated microengineering. You've actually accumulated a whole bunch of them. So even if you're not making your movements now, you can finish the movement, you can build a case, you can actually do a whole bunch of stuff that you bring. And I think that's the value of your experience and your background, which is not in traditional watchmaking, but because you've got that wealth of experience, it does give you a leg up and a significant kind of way towards making your watch much easier. I know it's a hard process, but I think it's a cool thing. Yeah, it certainly helps. The I've, I took a winding and twisty road to get here in terms of how I built the skills up. <laughs> sure. And but at the same time, I also ended up building skills that other people in the industry just won't have. Exactly. One of the things that exactly. I'm known for in the jewelry industry, and I've got papers published on it, is is making alternate materials, things like niello, which are yes. which is a very old alloy of silver that people don't really use anymore. That's the sort of thing that I will be using in future watches. Sure. And it's can. not the sort of thing that people are using in watches anymore. And That's part right. of the reason why I want to do that is because I want to pull some of those jewelry skills into it. Yeah. And it's important to have that. Same thing when it comes to the design of the dial, the engine turning that's on this dial, it comes from my background and experience as a jeweler, engine turning pieces for the jewelry industry, engine mm. turning pens. Yes. It's not the sort of thing that a traditional watchmaker mm. who has learned engine turning within the watch industry would do. Yes. And yeah, that's yeah, fine. Absolutely. That's And that's what yeah, yeah, makes it a little bit different. And I like to see that sort of thing, right? I, I, another person, again, Brittany Cox, the dial yeah, that she's just guest. done recently, yeah, yeah. that collaboration. Yeah. You know, again, somebody who she thinks outside of the, the watch industry with a lot yeah. of her design work, that's a great dial. It's unbelievable. It's, it's again, it's a huge change in the way that most people are making watches in terms of design for engine turning. And I think that's an important thing, an important skill to have is to be able to bring design ideas from outside of the industry and bring them in. Sometimes being different is not the right thing to do. Just being different for the sense of being different. Fully not, agree. That's not, always, that's not always right, but having good design sense from other places and bringing it into this is, I think, a great way of doing it. Oh, I definitely agree. I think that cross-pollination of ideas is, yeah, absolutely, really cool. And often the people who bring external skills to an existing industry do often end up inspiring other people within the industry to go, oh, you can do this. And it helps to spur them onto their own pursuits. Yeah, absolutely. But going back to your watch, so you've got the prototype on your wrist now. So the idea is to make, I think you make a series of 10. So there's 11 movements that I ended up ordering. One of them is for myself, but more importantly, it's as a working prototype, right? I wanted to have something that I could experiment with. And so it'll, this watch will probably not stay together for very long. Once I've finished making this series of watches, (laughs) it will probably be torn apart and and used as a, as a prototype for other things, but there'll be a 10 watch series for this. I wanted to start small. I didn't want to commit to making an open-ended series. I didn't want to commit to making 50 or 100 watches. Sure. I wanted to make 10 watches and get them out there. And Mm. so if if you're interested in this, there will only be 10 of this watch. Yeah. The next one, regardless of whether I use this movement, whatever it is, there will be changes made to it that will be different from it. So this will be a series of 10 watches that, again, I'm not going to do another 10 of these later on. Sure. This will be the 10 watches that I'm making like this. Yeah, yeah. And for me, that's always the, the thing that I've, when I look back on my own personal collecting, like the first series of watches I'm really excited by. That's often because yeah. you often see like the design language starting to evolve or kind of the 
thinking process behind. And they tend to be mm-hmm. also tend to be the most affordable of the maker who then kicks on and do other things. So I'm just sure. being realistic here. So like I often get in on the first series in the maker and, and it's just really cool. Right. And then when they go second, like with Josh Shapiro, whatever it is, they're like, it's awesome where they're going now. I'm like, that's great. I've got my, I remember you when you were small and I, I, <laughs> yeah. I shared part of the journey with you. It's For me, that's genuinely the really the most exciting thing. Like seeing a, seeing somebody's dream become solid reality as they venture out onto the path of watchmaking, the most thrilling thing for me. Like, actually, it's really the most wonderful thing. So it's really cool. I'm really excited when so when your watch is out. It, it is interesting so when cool. you go back and you look at some of these watches, and I can already see some of the ideas, especially as you start making this. You've got ideas about what the design is going to be and sure. what it's going to look like, and you're designing it in a CAD program, and you're, you, know, you see this, what is a 39-millimeter watch blowing up on... 27 inch monitor and you're looking at it in fine detail and then you actually get to making it in the metal and you're like oh okay fine i I can't that doesn't look right or that's there's something not quite right there and as so i one of the things i've been telling people as i've been talking about this watch and a few people have seen this you've seen this and, Mm. and a few others i know that between this prototype that i've created and the ones that will end up in collector's hands there will be some refinements that are made. Of course. I know already that I'm. I, there's some things that I want to refine with the hands. There's some sure. few things that I want to refine on the dial. And so that's, but that's an important part of the process, right? Is you sure. have to make the watch. Yes. You yes. have to get yes. it out there. You have to start yes. talking to people about it. And that's, and so every single time I make a new series of watches, including this one, there will be refinements that are made between this watch that I've mm. got on my wrist now and the first one that goes to a collector. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, really cool. Exactly, and you're exactly right. You can zoom in on all sorts of details, and you can sweat the tiniest detail on a 27-inch <laughs> screen, and then when it gets made, there's probably a combination of, oh, why did I spend all this time? You can see that D difference or whatever, versus, oh, while I was looking at this, there's this other thing I should have been looking at, the trees before the forest, before the trees or whatever that expression is. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes a micron... Or five microns makes a difference. Other times, other times, a tenth of a millimeter doesn't make a difference. It's sure. one of those funny things where it just depends on what you're working on, what you're looking at. Sometimes the placement of something you sweat over, moving something a little bit over this way or a little bit over that way, and you're like, that doesn't that doesn't matter. But then other times, when you're engine turning, for instance, I was lamenting earlier before we we started recording. Mm. I had been working on a dial, and I had it takes me three days to make a, do the engine turning on the base of the dial, get the, yeah, 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 you know, get yeah. the blank prepped and do all the engine turning. And I had been working on the main part of the dial and I was about five o'clock at night. I wanted to take a break. I wanted to, to grab some food and then come back. Mm. And it had been quite hot. So it was high thirties, low forties. And so it was, yeah. the air conditioning was running in the shop and my air conditioner automatically shuts off at five o'clock. And so I had gone out, I'd gone to stop for dinner a little bit beforehand, go back into the shop about an hour later, the air conditioner was off, but it had cooled down a little bit outside. So it wasn't too bad in there. But what had happened was that the engine had warmed up this straight line engine that I use. It's 110 years old, 120 years old, and it's 550 kilos of solid cast iron. Yeah. Cast. Yeah. So it's over the course of the hour. Yeah. 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 And over the course of an hour, it had warmed up a little bit because the air conditioning had turned off. Sure. And it was just enough 
that when I finished the dial, you could see the last cut that I made before I went to dinner and the first cut that I made that evening when I came back from dinner and all because the engine had warmed up by, and And, so sometimes it's frustrating, right? Sometimes it's literally, literally the microns that you're dealing with and it's, Mm. it can be really frustrating sometimes. Oh, I can't imagine. I think part of it, because I love a hand guilloche dial and I have been lucky enough to have a number of pieces with hand guilloche dials from different makers, a Josh Shapiro dial and a, Johan Benzinger dial, for example, the two masters. Yeah, the, the part of the romance slash attraction is that human hand made it and it has to be perfect because there's no do-overs, right? Once it's done, a slip, right. the tiniest slip of the cutter, the tiniest bit of inattention from the maker yeah. or something, you got to start again. There's no... Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. If you saw, if you're following me on Instagram, you would have seen another dial that I screwed up when I'm uh, the I was cutting out the recess for the chapter ring and the end mill slipped and destroyed the dial. And Mm. again, it's three days of work to get that dial prepped to the point where I'm cutting that chapter ring. And then, okay, that goes into the scrap bin because it's, you really can't use it for anything else. There's no way to recover from that. Yeah. It's just so interesting. No pun intended, but you're literally, it's knife edge. You're always on a knife edge or on a cutter's edge with these sort of things. I was chatting to somebody about, I recorded a podcast recently uh, with somebody who makes, um, enamel dials and it's a kind of similar process you fire them and there's multiple firings (laughs) and all the work that's gone into it almost doesn't matter if the last step or one of the if this thing didn't go right you start again there's no do-overs in and absolutely i did some i made some guilloche and enamel pens a number of years ago right and it was the same sort of thing you've spent 20 25 hours getting to the point where you're about to enamel it and you start enameling it and then something, something goes happens. catastrophically wrong in the enamel work and a week's worth of work, two weeks worth of work or whatever is out the window. And it's yeah. en- enamel is a whole other level of pain and frustration. And <laughs> yeah, it's that, that's something I have some ideas for enamel dials, but I'll do that when my blood pressure maybe is, is a little bit lower than it's it is right controlled. now. Yeah. It is. I've been, no, yeah. I don't. I, like, that's why I don't envy. I don't envy any, any craftsman. I am always in awe of any craftsman, whether it's watches, leather goods, musical instruments, candles, whatever it is. Somebody makes with their hands. You're always. I'm always full of admiration mm. because what I've what I'm coming to realize, particularly in my watch collecting and interacting with these pieces, is. When something is handmade, whether it's a handmade dial, handmade case, the final product that we see in our hand is actually a culmination of all the failed products that we don't see. So for every one of your 10 watches that get made, there'd be 10 cases that get made, I don't know how many cases don't quite make the cut for whatever reason, or of the 10 dials you make or 11 there'll be a bin full, not bin, but there'll be a a biscuit tin full of (laughs) dials that don't quite make it. But there's still the cumulative yeah. sum of your effort, the care that you put into it. Like it's massive. So it's we, we, the lucky collectors who get to own pieces from you, for example, will stand on this pyramid of effort and toil to get to that place. And I, I'm becoming much more aware and appreciative of that, the unseen toil, which I think we need to understand as makers yeah, and when, when it we comes talk to about- price and things. Yeah. Yeah. When we talk about things like how long it takes to make a dial, I'll say, okay, it takes me three days, let's say, to do the base plate Mm. that's on the dial. But as you say, that doesn't take into account 
failed dials, right? Sometimes dials fail. I had I had one dial about a month ago that failed and there was some flaw in the metal. The metal right. just wasn't consistent enough. So when I cut it, you could see where maybe maybe during the alloying it didn't yeah there was you know, some properly. Maybe it molecular was thing, crystalline yeah. structure and it was different yeah exactly there's so many different things that could go wrong with it and it, it didn't matter what I did with it the engine turning was always going to look flawed on it because the metal was flawed sure and you don't know that until you cut it right sure. you have no idea what it's going to look like until you actually get sure. in there and cut it so sure. there's things like that it's frustrating so you're right it, out of ten watches it may take me. 13 or 14 dials to get sure. to get 10 that I'm happy with. Sure. And that's yeah, yeah. just the reality of it. And I know some people in the past when I've we've talked about that in jewelry making or or pen making, some people are like, why am I paying for for those failures? I'm not getting those dials. I'm not getting those watches. I'm not getting those pens. But the reality is that's what it takes to do it right. And Correct. if that's what it takes to do it right and to get a perfect a perfect end mm. end mm. piece then that's what it takes. And mm. yes, that's when I have to make a living at this. I can't, I can't give away my time for free. So unfortunately that takes, that takes time and energy to do. And mm. that's why these watches are, are the price they are. But at the same time, you can certainly compare these to the price of watches from large brands. The difference is that there's going to be 10 of these in the world. Whereas you might buy a watch from another larger brand, which we won't talk about. Sure. And you're one of 10,000 people this year. Sure. Who's got that watch. Sure. What's worth it at that point? And fortunately for for people like you and me, because I I am a collector myself as well. And fortunately for us, we're we're in a position where we appreciate that. And we don't want to be one of the 10,000. We want to have one of much fewer. And that's where it's it's far more important for these with these independents. Yeah, absolutely. And and the larger brands and the indie watches speak to a different audience or they satisfy a different they satisfy a different need sure. or a different collecting itch. But yeah, I'm very much drawn to the human element of it because for me the most special thing is the the person behind making something, particularly if they make something of their own. So much I am much more interested in a yeah. watchmaker doing their thing than somebody who works at Kari Butalainen. Even if their skill level is great, and it has sure. to be to work at that sort of level, right? But even if they're the top person in the thing, I am less interested in what they're doing because what they're doing is executing someone mm-hmm. else's vision. Whereas what you're doing is you, whatever right. it is you're producing, that's your artistic expression or that's something that you want to put out into the world and you have to stand behind it. And I think that's the that's why that's right. the reason for this podcast is actually talking to people who make stuff when we talk yeah. to the makers. Explain to us, tell us the story of why this came to be. Why does it look like this? What are you trying to say or achieve? And to me, that's hopefully that translates to the audience as well. That's the, the most interesting thing. Whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. And that's the reason that my name is on the dial. It's the reason why I put my name on the dial and not the name of my collector yeah. or somebody sure. who's designed it for me or whatever. My name is on the dial because I'm the one who birthed it, in, into it. in a sense from from the design idea to to actually making it in the metal and getting it mm. out there. And that's important. And that's why one of the things we, we talked about, uh, David Walter earlier, he and I have been chatting quite a bit offline and uh, we've been 
there's some collaboration that we're doing as well on a few other projects. Oh, and one of the things I've, I've always liked about dealing with David is that he's always been very upfront about who it is that's working on his pieces, who he's yes. collaborating with. So if you make a dial for him, your name goes on that dial. It's going to be marked on the back of the dial so that it's yeah, yeah. that's there. But he, and I think that's important. If you're, if you are getting people to help you, I said Philippe Narbel and his team, mm. they absolutely helped do the finishing work on these movements. Sure. I'm happy to promote Philippe. I'm happy to talk about what he's doing because they're doing amazing work. And I, I know some brands that use. Philippe and do, and they don't talk about the fact that Philippe does the hand finishing work on their watches. Yeah. And I think it's a shame yeah. because I think that it, those sorts of collaborations actually help increase the value of what it is that we're doing. And it, if nothing else, it helps increase the story of what it is that we're doing and why people are important in this industry. And this, and you need to have, you, know, you need to talk about those collaborators. Otherwise, what, what is it that we're doing here? Why are we I'm just another manufacturer at that point, but that I don't, that's not what I want to be. Correct. I'm an artist who's trying to create fine watches. And if I have other artists who are helping me out with that, they need to be recognized as part of what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there is that some, there is something magical about the alchemy of talented people coming together to contribute to something being made to its best yeah. Possible way, absolutely. There is a separate story yep. about yep. and a joy of an individual person making everything by themselves. If that's what they are doing, it's a very slow process. The really crazy price on it, but that's that is a mm. a different story. They're both valid and interesting, and they both can be tremendously satisfying or horrendously terrible. Just, but <laughs> as long as yeah. it's transparent story, I think you're right. I think both have merit and value. And should should absolutely exist, but yes, I don't. I like you. I don't like the larger brands using skilled artisans, but don't acknowledging their work. That's a historical problem, which is now yeah. Yeah, becoming harder to conceal. I think as that we're living in a much more transparent or information ready age, but it still happens. Still yeah. happens. NDAs are as active as ever in this industry. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So talking about so going back to your watches, so so you've got a series now, you've got a name for the model. So CM Manning is the is the brand in inverted commas. The model is 21.01. Yep. It's pretty simple. When I start designing something, the uh, the year is the first number that's in there. So I okay. started designing this watch in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. And .01, this was the first thing that I started designing in 21. Oh, okay. So I, understand. If okay. I, I have other things that I've made and designed in that. And so when I'm naming everything, like I've got millions of files, design files and whatnot on my computer and whatnot, everything gets labeled with a project. And sure. that, so those projects are all labeled based on the year and which, which piece it was that, uh, that I started with. So in this case, 21.01. I've got some other watches that are coming out hopefully in the next few years and they'll have different numbers. And if you're looking at them, you'll know exactly mm. when I started designing the watch based entirely on what the model number of it is. Okay. Okay. So I, no, I like a naming convention. I, I can get behind a naming convention. That's good. As long as it's, yeah, that's cool. That, that is cool. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a sexy marketing name. It's not a, not the mystique or something like that, but it's, it helps yeah, yeah. people, it helps people figure out what it is. But at the same time, it's also not entirely opaque as to sure. where the name is coming from. Sure. 
Names are really interesting because naming, there's a whole kind of industry of naming products and for these large multinational sure. companies, they have to test it in every language and make sure that scans right and all of that. Yeah. Uh, I remember, so recent so call outs to recent guests, we had Ruben Scoots recently on the podcast and he's finished his watch. Mm-hmm. His watch was series one, series two, because he's, I'm only going to make, I don't sure. need to make that many models. <laughs> I don't need to sweat about it. Aaron Sarah had a convention of these are the street addresses. That, so this model is, they're, yes. they're going to be all the house numbers or something. Right? And then I remember talking to David, yeah. David Walter, mutual friend, your collaborator. And he was like, I needed to call it something. It needed to have a name. I didn't sweat on it. So this was the white one. So we'll call it the white one because it was very white. And then I had the Azua because it was blue. It's just, I like the pragmatic naming conventions because you're right. You're not going to have 23 different SKUs where you have to have differentiating families of names where, yeah, it's not gonna, never going to be an issue. Yeah. You don't make that. Right. And let's be honest, <laughs> let's be honest, Roman. I'm not 20 years old. I'm not going to be making watches for 100 years. And I'm going to be making watches by myself for most of my career. I'm sure. not going to be making thousands of watches. Sure. So sure. I, I want something that makes sense and it's obvious as to what it is. And also sure. I, I want to make sure that that when people look at it, they know, oh, okay, this was one of his early series watches yeah, and yeah. they don't have to try and remember, is this named, this obscure first, yeah. Which was name the, or whatever? Yeah, that's right. Was that the first one or is that the second one or yes. or whatever? And, sure. You know, who, who can remember, right, when something was made or when it wasn't. So right. yeah, that's... No, I, I just wanted sense. to go with something simple and uh, and it works. No, that, actually, that makes perfect sense. And I actually quite like having the number there because that's chronological. And you're right. You're not going to live, you're not going to be making watches in 2121. So, you know, we won't need to remember which century. <laughs> exactly. the, you don't need to have the third number uh, that's uh, right. in there. Yeah. yeah. I love the perpetual <laughs> calendar from IWC that comes that's with right. a little disc, the Kurt yes. Klaus thing where they have you can have an insert for the next century when it stops, when you need to slot in the extra that's number. Right. Genius marketing mover. <laughs> no, that's really cool. So in terms of your watches, so they're 39 mil time and power reserve. What's the delivery time? So you're, you've got the prototype ticking on your wrist now. So they're, they'll be available. By the time this is published, they'll be available for to view and pre-order for people who are interested. We'll put a link to the thing. What do you envisage kind of the build time for them? So if someone orders it now, how long? I don't know. How right now, the, string, I would say the, the limiting factor is probably going to be getting the movements from Swartzichen. I don't have right. an exact date on when their movements are, are coming. Sure. They're hoping to get them done probably Q1 next year, early Q1 next year. Okay. So I expect that these early watches 20, will probably be ready to send to collectors early in 2024. That's my goal. And obviously something changes with that. I'll let people know. The things that I'm making that I have control over, Yes. that I'm, I'm going to be working on constantly and that's sure. not that bad. But it's really the movements are going to be the time limiting thing for me in terms of when those actually arrive. So I expect takes six months to deliver them. I would be surprised. My goal is to get them delivered faster than that. So we'll see what happens. Mm. But my goal is to get them delivered within the next six months. Yeah, which is which is great for any indie maker to have what's ready. And because you make you do make a lot of the stuff in house yourself, like you, yes. that will be ready to go. So that's very reassuring. Shall we talk price? What's the process then for people? Give us the price. Give us the pre orders that are depositing. How do you envisage these kind of entering the world? I'm keen for people to hear. Yeah, so the stainless steel one is going to be twenty five thousand US dollars. Mm-hmm. The Damascus steel one is twenty eight thousand US dollars. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in a platinum or eighteen karat gold, then 
get in touch. We'll figure it out yeah. because that's going to change a little bit depending on markets and things like that. Sure. Yeah, metals sure. markets and whatnot. And also if depending on what it is exactly that you're looking for, that, that yeah, changes sure. a little bit. So those obviously will be more expensive, but of course. The, we need to figure that out price-wise. The For ordering one, what mm-hmm. I'll do is I'm going to set up a website for listeners of this show because mm-hmm. you have the best listeners. My you, mother thinks gonna, so. <laughs> the four of you who are listening. Um, Correct. Hey, listen, if we can get 11 people, you'll be oversold. You'll be oversubscribed. Listen, my 12 exactly, listeners, if exactly. they buy all if, 11 off, with a prototype off your wrist, you'll be in trouble. This, this is true. That's the dream. Um, That's what we want. I'm going to set up a website under cmmanning.com slash Roman sent me. Or if you want to just send me an email, you can send sure. me an email at info yep. at cmmanning.com. Yep. And put the and subject put the Roman sent me. Yep. And what I'll do is I'll set up that website and it'll be visible for a couple of days as an exclusive for listeners of the show. Oh, cool. And then after the show's been live for a couple of days, then it'll then stuff is going to start going out on social media. Sure. If you're interested in ordering one, 50% deposit and it's yours. And then the balance available once I'm finished and I'm ready to ship sure. it. Pretty standard pretty, for Pretty for standard. Most, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yep. For most watches like this, it's nothing unique or special. That's great. There. Makes sense. And you're happy for people to annoy you about what number they want and all that? Because these will be Yeah, 10 and if pieces. you're interested in a particular serial number, there's going to be serial number one through 10. If there's mm-hmm. a particular one that you're interested in, get in touch. If nobody else has, has chosen it, I am more than happy to put that aside for you. If you're if you want to be James Bond and you want 007, it'll only be seven. It won't be 007. I'm but, happy but for to do you, that we can do you. an That's extra engraving. Come on, don't limit it. If you want to be 007 <laughs> for a small, easy payment, we can make anything happen, right? Because you, yeah, like so I, I should try and limit personalizations because I'm sure that will be yeah, the personalizations next. Personalizations are not something that I really want to do. I do want to. I do want to make sure that they're obviously case material. That's something yeah. that, that a lot of people prefer. So I, I'm going to. Whatever you want for for case material within reason. I'm not doing tantalum cases, so don't ask. But I certainly... I'm not doing that. No, I have no interest in. I have no interest. Okay, so you heard it here. Tantalum. At this point, I'm limiting myself to stainless Damascus, gold, and platinum. So those are what I'm making them in. And that's. Let me know what you're interested in. I'm happy to, to accommodate you from a case point of view and then also from a serial number point of view. That's really cool. For me, following your. I know the word journey gets overused a lot, but like seeing you at this stage now with a prototype ticking merrily on your wrist and kind of meeting you in London last year when a lot of these ideas were percolating. Yeah. Even since last October, September, I think we were September, late September, to now, like you've made giant strides and actually it's just here. It's ready to go. It's awesome. It's just so exciting. It's so interesting because so all the pieces have been there for the past year, right? It's all, they've all been, I've had dial designs and experiments going i've had engraving experiments going i've had the dial the chapter ring design the case design like i made a i actually made a prototype case for a watch with another movement about five years ago that is very similar to this case and so i've had all of these different ideas floating around for a couple of years now and they're now all coalescing into a finished watch and it's amazing how even in the last month, how much this has come together. And I now have an assembled thing that I can walk, put on my wrist and I can show somebody and, and whatnot. And it, it is amazing to be there. It's uh, it's rewarding to finally get all of that. All of that work is, has come together 
into yeah. a piece that I can yeah. have on my wrist and be happy about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm gutted that I won't be going because I know you're about to head off to London <laughs> next week. And I'm gutted that I don't get to go this year. I, I can't make it to the clockmakers dinner because I know you're doing the worship company of clockmakers dinner again. And then you're off to Red Bar Global. Is that Edinburgh? Yeah. So I'm fortunate. I was last year when I came as your plus one, yeah, I yeah. wasn't a member of the of the company, but they apparently were not displeased with my participation last year. And so mm. they've actually invited me to join the company. So this year That's I'm being awesome. admitted as a freeman into Fantastic. the company. Ah, and uh, yeah, so that's, I'm very happy well, about that. So I'll be at dinner. Really? So if you're in London, the 25th through the 29th, that's when I'm going to be there. I'm going to yeah. be at the clockmakers dinner. So if you're at the clockmakers dinner, please come and say hi. I'd, be, I'd love to say hi. And then on the 30th, I'm on a train up to Edinburgh, going to the Red Bar Global Meetup that's in Edinburgh on the 1st and 2nd of October. So if right. you're at the Red Bar Global Meetup, please come and say hi, look for me. I will be there and I'd love to chat and, and talk watches with you. Very cool. If you're on the train, by the way, don't approach. Chris is not approachable on trains. Um, ideally, <laughs> People to wait don't talk to each other on public transit <laughs> Correct. In, in Britain. Correct. It's, it's a, uh, only, I'm, I'm only sociopaths do that. <laughs> but if you're a sort of sociopath who's also into independent watchmaking, do stop by and say hi. Don't limit your audience, man. And the other thing is, if you're in London, you should check out the the Breguet exhibition that's now at the. Oh, Science absolutely! Yeah, so the it's, worshipful company I'm, of clockmakers have this uh, put together this amazing exhibition of uh, Abraham Louis Breguet pieces that's up in the Science Museum. It's free admission and all that. And if you're in London, absolutely see it. It is amazing. Amazing. If you're in London and you haven't been to the clockmakers exhibit at the Science Museum, you need to go just regardless of what exhibit they have on. For sure. Special exhibit For they sure. have. You need to go and look at that collection. It's an incredible collection. Yeah. But as you say, Big that Breguet exhibit, I'm so happy that I'm going to be there yeah, yeah. and I'm going to so, get a chance um, to see it. it. And the nice yeah. thing is, unlike most special exhibits, this one's going to be there for a full year. So you don't yeah. have to go right away. Plan a trip if you're going to be anywhere in the area. Be sure to go and check out this exhibit. It is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. They, they've assembled this incredible collection. There's a to give you. There's a the sympathetic clock is there. There's only three yeah. of those in the world, I think. And yeah, this one I think is from Charles's collection. Yeah, it's King the Charles royal collection. collection. One. Yeah, yeah. 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 There, there's a bunch of clocks and watches like that that are you'll never see them assembled in one place again. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, incredibly rare. Yeah. So that's really cool. So your globe setting. That's really exciting. So if for our North American, sorry, for our European listeners and UK, whatever, you're not part of Europe, Brexit-wise, whatever, Chris is coming your way. Definitely. He's very approachable. I've spent a week with him last year. He's very nice to talk to. He definitely make sure you, uh, if you're there, definitely check out, have a look. Have a look. What I'm hoping is that people can hear the passion in the mm. voice and kind of in your kind of the amount of skill and care and passion that you put into your projects because you're always very thoughtful about how you approach things you're very meticulous about every feature that has a purpose and a reason behind it so i hope people do get to talk to you and interact with you and see the watch it'd be really cool so i, de- I definitely yeah, recommend it's yeah, great i definitely i'm Chris. always as roman i'm always happy to talk about myself uh, actually that's not exactly true you need a little bit of coaxing but once you get going though it is it's no no <laughs> look we spent a week together and we still can tolerate each other so now so that's so that's- I, think, I think that the again you being on the wrong side of the planet that helps a lot because you're asleep most of the day when i'm sending mm. you memes on instagram that's and then true, i'm asleep right. when yeah. you're 
when you're sending awake and sending me Instagram memes. So, yeah, look, I think ours is really that's the recipe for a perfect marriage. You need like three oceans between you, and that's <laughs> the, the love never dies. That's right. <laughs> and eleven time zones. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that's really cool. Do you want to have a bit of a chat about what's next, and could you want to ex- talk about the collaboration with with David and stuff that you're working with sure. David and Peter? Yeah, there's a few interesting things coming down the pipe as well because I've, frankly, thanks to your introduction last year to Peter and David. So Peter, the Peter we're talking about is Peter Doble. Yes. And he's a watch and clockmaker who is, speaking of being in the middle of nowhere, he's in Idaho. Mm. And uh, David Walter, he's out in California. And we met up thanks to your your you inviting us to go to the uh, British Museum last year. And because of that meetup, we got to chatting and we started talking about designs and things like that. So I've been helping uh, David a little bit with some of his work. He's working on a platinum watch case right now. I've been helping Mm, him a little bit with some of that, helping him with some of my sort of casting expertise and stuff. So that's been good. Peter and I have been talking a lot about it because he's starting to get into machining, particularly Mm. CNC machining of certain things. And I have some experience with that. And then the three of us got to talking about custom watch movement. And so we've been bouncing some ideas back and oh, forth wow. about designing a custom movement. It won't be that any of the three of us can use and they won't all be identical, but we they're going to have the same DNA, the same core. And, and so we've been talking a little bit about that and helping each other with some of the projects that we're working on. Mm. And then on top of that, David... David years ago built a watchmaker's regulator for Tim Jackson. Um, yes, fact, yeah, yeah. You, it's an amazing clock. Yeah, Tim Jackson on the, in time. on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. We had Tim, yeah, a long time ago, but yeah, Tim's another member of the company, but yeah, independent yeah. in time. Yeah, so yeah, David, David did a, a watchmaker's regulator for, for Tim a number of years ago. And I've been interested in making one for myself. One of the, a lot of people don't realize that traditionally you, a watchmaker would have a very precise regulator Mm. clock on the wall. And that's what you would use for setting your work pieces. Yeah, timing your pieces. um, Timing your pieces off of. And I'd been interested in making one for myself. And I've been talking to David about the design that he used. And so I've actually been rebuilding his notes. When you see David's notes about how he builds a watch or a clock, it's basically a bunch of numbers on a piece of paper. And it doesn't mean a lot to anyone other than no. David and of course you know so it's he and I've he and I've been jotting a lot about that and I've been translating that into a 3D CAD model and I'm actually Amazing. going to build one of those clocks and in fact I'm oh, thinking wow. about uh, filming the process of that and putting it out as a series of videos as well because I think it would be oh, interesting amazing. for people to see for sure yeah, so it's I'm looking forward to that I think that'll be an interesting interesting project I'm looking forward to it because I'm first off I want to have one of these clocks it's a beautiful clock an I really want to have an incredible a precision yeah. timepiece on my wall mm. that I can use, and this—it's a gorgeous design. Yeah. I love the—I love the look of it, and I'm looking forward to building that. So that's been a fun thing, and it's just been good. It's nice to have somebody to talk to regularly. I chat with both of them several times a week, and it's good to have. Mm collaborators to bounce ideas off of and totally. when yeah, yeah, yeah. when one of us is having a problem with something we can chat with the others about it and try and work through some of the problems so it's been yeah, really absolutely. good for that. yeah yeah and those two guys peter and uh, and david like amazing people and david's a kind of a legend in the field you know? sure and peter certainly committed to this watchmaking project hugely and i'm 
full of admiration <laughs> for both of them. I'm just craziness in that level and expertise in that level is insane. But for me, standing as an observer, like the really exciting thing is this sort of cross-pollination of ideas, just seeing the three of you working on stuff and working on problems and collaborating in all these myriad ways. That's just magical. To me, that is the best thing about this watch community thing is that, is just seeing talented people working together, exchanging ideas just magical. It's it's so nice working with people like that and and we all have unique skills and we all bring different things to the conversation which is wonderful and it's it's nice again it's nice having having collaborators like that and sometimes I'm frustrated I'm having a problem I was having some problems with the hands and I said to David oh, I'm I'm having this issue and he's like oh this is this is what you need to do this is the material you need to use perfect that sort of thing is sometimes you can bang your head against a wall for sure. for months and then you just have to ask the the right person the right question and hmm. they come back with an answer that says, yeah, this is how you need to go about doing it. And it solves all your problems. And you're like, wow, okay. I'm so happy that I asked that question to the right person. And, well, that, and that's what you get from those collaborations. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that life, but I think it's that hive mind of like lifetime of experience and accumulated excellence. And it's nice that people are actually sharing because historically I know mm-hmm. there's been a lot of kind of don't pick at my notes, every, don't look at what I'm not going to tell you anything, where it's actually really nice with honest, talented, independent watchmakers actually exchanging that ideas. Beautiful. Just lovely. There's a great quote from Philippe Dufour. I don't remember where I heard it from him. He was one of the, one of the documentary videos I've seen from him. And it's his, he was saying that graveyards are full of secrets. Yes. Yeah. And yeah he, sure. he looked yeah. around, he sees all these dead watchmakers in hmm in graveyards and their accumulated knowledge is lost and sure it's sure it's sad that that happened so one of the i mentioned uh, earlier about about uh, writing papers for the jewelry industry and some mm-hmm. of the skills that i've gotten and i think that it's important to educate people and about what you do and and share that knowledge so that's why whenever i'm doing things i'm documenting everything that i'm doing yeah and eventually i i intend to release a lot of it as as available information to people because yeah. it is it's important to to share that knowledge and to get it out there in the world absolutely i can't agree more and i think i know we're winding down but this is a whole other topic we could explore maybe we'll <laughs> yes. bring you back but yeah. i think we touched on it in your last time you were on on the show with adam and i in 2021 we talked about because yeah. one of the other things you do you know you had the off hours podcast and you did this video series and stuff and you are really good at producing content. And I think it's really important in the age we live in to actually preserve videos of techniques and skills because there's only, if you work with craftsmen, yes, you can write it down, but I think there's nothing as important as seeing how they hold the tool, how they sharpen the tool, how they position the tool. That's irreplaceable. That, That knowledge has to be visual. And you of all people, you produce some amazing audio and video content, which you've done on YouTube. So I think it's a cool thing. I know you don't have time for it now, but at some point, it'd be good to have. <laughs> and sometimes just seeing the way that a watchmaker, I, I took the, I took some of the week-long classes at the, that the British Horological Institute put on. And John Murphy, he's been a watchmaker for years. He's a contemporary of people like Roger Smith and right. Peter Speak and people like that. And so he's been a watchmaker for decades. And watching the way that somebody who has handled hundreds of thousands of watch screws sure. picks up a watch screw with a, with a pair of tweezers and how they manipulate that. And you think, oh, it's a screw. You just pick it up. 
Yeah, sure. It's first. It's one of those things that if you just try and pick up tiny little parts, sure. you will be spending more time on your hands and knees looking for those parts oh, than yes. you are actually oh, yes. working with them. Sure. Right? But watching the way that, and I learned more in five minutes of watching him handle yes. small parts with a pair of tweezers than I had figured out in years of of playing around with Absolutely. watches on my own. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's and some so sometimes seeing that person in person. That, that master in person doing that work is just so important. And Christian Lass, another person we've both spoken mm. to on our podcast, yes. he has a great video series, a couple of great video series on his website that he has available. And again, watching Christian working on mate, rebuilding the plates of a bridge or, or the plates of a movement. Yeah. So much that you can learn from watching somebody like that. Yeah. Somebody who's done this hundreds of times, thousands of times. It's, it really is critical. And sharing that knowledge is so important. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been nagging David because David was kind enough to service a an old Arnold J.R. Arnold chronometer I have, which are like an 1820s right. or 1810s. And he was lucky, like I was very lucky that he took that project on because he was interested in the debt and escapement or whatever. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but he sent me little videos of like him working on stuff and explaining like what he was doing. Oh, I'm just burnishing the end of the pivot. And what you're looking for is this little flash of brightness and when it happens because yeah. then when to stop. And just some of those nuggets of knowledge and just seeing the way he, that's irreplaceable. So I keep nagging him, like, just put the camera on, just video yourself. We can produce it later. Even if we don't, if we can get to the archive later, but you need that video stuff. I think it's really important, audio and video. Like it's just at some point, we will want to know how that thing was done and we won't have anyone to ask is what I'm always worried about. You lose that yeah, knowledge. I'm fortunate. I've, I've researched a lot of old techniques, a lot of medieval jewelry making mm. techniques and whatnot. And yellow and sometimes stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. frustrating because we have this document about from like a, a Cellini and he's talking about how to do a thing. And you'll be looking, you'll be reading through the descriptions like, oh, this is great. This is great. This is great. And then he says, do this in the usual way. Yes, yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a 15th century goldsmith. Sure. I don't sure. know what the usual sure. way is. Sure. That's why I'm reading this document. Yeah. Yes, that's documenting yeah. all that is so important. Yeah. And you also wonder how many steps they don't write purposely down. George Daniels was notorious <laughs> at that. Yes. You do it like this, but you actually don't. It's like yeah. exactly like my mother-in-law would give out a recipe. You do it. This is the recipe, but you just, sure. there's always one or two ingredients yeah. omitted or there's a crucial step. That's why her thing, I love my mother-in-law, yes. don't get me wrong, but that's why her thing would be always tastes better. What Even if you followed the recipe exactly, it will never come out the same because- right. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure that would have been the case. Just there's the how we do it, but you don't give them the actual secret thing. So anyway, we really right, have gotten right. a bit far, but you and I are both passionate about that kind of preservation of skill and you are a much more technically adapt person. So you look at it from a technical point of view. I come from it from a very much a preservation of knowledge, historical importance point of view, but we both kind of serve the same yeah. thing. I want that knowledge to be there. Having said that, Lovely. It's been lovely chatting to you, Chris. I'm really, I cannot convey how excited I am that you're so close to getting your watch out there into the world. It's a, having seen a few photos and a lot of sketches and things, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm, I hope people are excited and definitely check out the website and Instagram and all yeah, that. You and so, I have been chatting about this for years and I'm, I appreciate the support and the, the encouragement that you've been giving me over the, the last couple oh. of years. And I am, as you say, I'm so happy to be putting this out in the world finally, because at some point you have to do that. And uh, yeah, I'm happy that, uh, that we're finally there. Absolutely. So everyone listening, make sure you check out the watches. So, so Instagram will be cmmanning.watches. 
And Chris's Instagram is silver underscore hand, but the CM Manning is the watches where you go to. We'll put links to all the websites and landing pages so you in the show notes. So you can, by the time you're hearing this, the, that, that will be out and that will be live. Chris, have a great trip in London. I'm very jealous in Edinburgh. Uh, but thank you. I'll be, I'll be by. thinking of you the entire time I'm in London. And I, I'm sure that I will ping you with all sorts of uh, photos of, of very nice Breguet watches that you can't see. I'm sure. Yeah, you'll torture me, but that's fine. I, I deserve that. But look, Matt, <laughs> so good to talk to you. All right. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, it's a pleasure. I hope we'll do it again sooner and we'll keep this conversation going. But everyone, check out the links. All right. Thank you for stopping by and stay on time. <laughs>